Hey, what's up guys? Chad Hermanson here with Mental Edge Training Coach. Today I have a guest that really doesn't get any bigger than this. Hall of Famer, Greg Maddox. Greg Maddox is a dear friend of mine. We all know who Greg Maddox is. He doesn't even really need any introduction. Could be possibly the best pitcher that has walked planet Earth. So we're going to dive into how he approached the mental game. Hopefully you get some stories out of him. Maybe play a true or false game, because I've heard a lot of rumors of some of the things that he's done over the course of his playing career. So enjoy this conversation with Greg Maddox. Hey, Greg, what's going on, man? How are we doing? Good, doing great. How's it going? I'm doing well. We're we're both here in Las Vegas. You uh, you had mentioned earlier that you've been in California, so you skipped the Vegas heat. Yeah, we skipped the heat, and uh, we decided to quarantine in a little bit better weather, and uh, you know, spent uh, about three months out there and got out of the hundred degree heat here. And you know, luckily the golf courses were open, so you know, <laughs> golf in the morning and come home and quarantine, watch Netflix, cook at home, and enjoy the ocean. Nice, nice. What type of, uh, what's your Netflix shows? What have you been watching? Oh, uh, we watch them all. We watch them all. Yellowstone, I think, is up there, one of the tops that we watched. Uh, uh, we just finished uh, Umbrella Academy. That was weird, different. <laughs> that was weird. I liked it, I liked it though, but it was good. Hard to predict. A lot of uh, what's going to happen next. You're never right. I mean, it was uh, pretty good. Uh, I mean, we've, you know, we're doing the internet one right now. I forget the name of it, but the one where the internet kind of affects how you think and live your life. Uh, the, uh, the social dilemma. Yeah, that's what it is. Yeah, we started that one this morning and uh, we got through about the first 20 minutes and then the doorbell started ringing. Okay. Yeah. Okay, very cool. That one's so, on top right now. Okay, yeah, Yellowstone's are my wife and I, that's our favorite show. We, we've been yeah, crushing really, that. Really good. And then did the rewatches. I mean, when it was, you know, really quarantine and we rewatched like uh, Game of Thrones again and Dexter and uh, you know so that nice. was pretty good yeah nice nice the old classics <laughs> that's sweet so you and I you know we've known each other the first time I actually met you um, obviously you you were already in the big league so my first time I met you was in 1995 was the year that I got drafted um, you actually were represented by Scott Boris and yeah. Boris Court, and you showed up at my house with Scott Boris. Um, we're looking to court the services, right, to get me to come on board uh, with Scott. I, do you even remember that? That's a long time ago. I'm trying to remember. Uh, <laughs> I know I did it for a couple of guys, and uh, yeah. uh, I do vaguely remember. Vaguely. Yeah, yeah, it, it's a bit all a all a blip on the screen, uh, but that was obviously pretty cool. You know, I, I was 17 years old. Um, agents were trying to, you know, when you, when you're around a first round pig, every agent's trying to talk to you, Yeah. coming back and forth all over the place. Like, Hey, that was somewhat of a, it's a huge separator. Like, Hey, have Greg Maddox come and show up at your house. Um, so you, you kind of just shared with how great Scott is and the organization and everything. And, um, it certainly came down to Scott and another advisor who I actually went with another person. Um, I don't know why I felt more comfortable with the other guy. I, yeah. I, I kind of feel like to this day that might have been a mistake. Uh, <laughs> but that was kind of where we first met. And, and even it kind of goes even farther back to 
we had the same high school coach, uh, Coach Farrell. Yeah. So I, I'd love for you to go back into the, uh, you know, the late 80s, maybe is it more like mid 80s. What was Coach Fairless like for you yeah. in high school? Uh, 80, yeah, 83, 84 was when I played for him. So, uh, I mean, he was a hard ass. He was hard on us in uh, different brand of coaching, uh, total old school, yada, uh, a lot of yelling, a lot of name calling, uh, <laughs> a lot of intimidation. Uh, you know, it's from the school that uh, players will respond better if they're intimidated. And uh, uh, I think that's how he coached. I had a few coaches like that coming up. Uh, and on my way out, I had no coaches like that. Coaching really changed a lot since then. Uh, but, you know, I didn't realize how good a coach he was until I signed. I mean, I was in high school and I was, you know, went to Valley High in Vegas. And, uh, uh, you know, what do you know? You're 16, 17, 18 years old. You don't really know anything. And, you know, you know, you like baseball, you like playing and then you sign and, all of a sudden, I knew what a bunk play was. I knew how to cover first. I knew how to run the bases. I knew all the fundamentals. And, and then it, I, you know, it took me to be around other guys, uh, especially other parts of the country, and realize just how good a coach Roger was. I mean, he fundamentally he he really set the table for us. And you know, he gave us some mental toughness. I think uh, didn't realize it at the time. You know, just thought he took it way too serious. It's baseball. <laughs> But, uh, you know, developed a little mental toughness in there as well. And, uh, you know, very lucky to have him at a, at a young point in my career to kind of jumpstart it. Absolutely. And there's some other names, big, huge names that came out of uh, Valley High School after you, like mm-hmm. Tyler Houston, Steve Rodriguez, I think uh, Opperman. Was Opperman at your number one pick? Steve yeah. Chitron. Chitron, yeah. So it's kind of an endless list. Yeah. And then, uh, then Coach moved on and – my freshman year is when he moved to Green Valley, and, mm-hmm. and Green Valley had a lot of success. But what was um, – back in your high school days, because I, I remember watching you in high school. You were dominating with the Braves at this point. That they always talked about your velocity, you know, like that you you could throw in the low, even to maybe mid-90s, but you, you felt like you didn't have to. So what do you teach? Because I know you spent the last few yeah. years coaching – yeah, it's really a bunch of it's yeah it's kind of bs i didn't throw hard so they said because i was winning i could throw harder if i wanted to i threw hard i mean i was throwing as hard as i could it's like saying the slow guy's not running as hard at first as a fast guy they're both running just as hard just one's going faster so right. uh no i threw the ball hard I, I actually threw it i don't want to say as hard as i can but i was pretty close to it you know on uh you know every fastball i threw i i tried to cut it loose and uh you know, I felt like the harder I threw it, the faster it spun and the more movement I would get. So uh, okay. uh, I was never holding back. <laughs> I was yeah. letting it fly. It just wasn't that fast. And uh, uh, But I relied on, I knew I relied on movement and location more than velocity. And, uh, you know, that was how I learned. I learned that. Did you know Ralph Meter? Were you? Mm-mm. Yeah, you just missed him. You missed yeah. him by a couple years. And uh you know, Ralph was kind of the pitching coach of Las Vegas back in the 70s and early 80s. And, uh, you know, if he, he had Mike Morgan. He had uh, my brother. Uh, Mike Greer was there. And then I was kind of like kind of the last one. He actually died my, my junior year. Okay. But, uh, Ralph taught uh, movement. He taught movement over velocity. He okay. said, uh, and he, he taught changing speeds over velocity. 
okay? And he also taught location over velocity. So, uh, you know, we were, luckily, we were learning how to pitch at that age, not kind of like the way it is now. Let's see how hard we can throw. And, uh, you know, I think that was a big difference back then, too, is, uh, you know, we were taught up and in, down and away. And I think nowadays, guys are, what's my spin rate? How fast was it? And right. how can you throw harder? And, uh, you know, so the game's changed a little bit in that. You know, it's all about the velo now. And uh, uh, But once the game starts, the pitcher that pitches the best is usually the one that's going to win, not the one that throws the hardest. Nice. I like that. How did you prepare and, and how did you develop the control and the command that you had of your pitches? Like, was there a certain focus that you felt you had that was different? Well, I don't know if I had a different focus or anything. I think, you know, command's a lot like velo. Some guys just throw harder than others. And, you know, some guys just locate better than others. And I think I, I had the ability to locate better than most people. Uh, I did work on my command every side session. I thought mechanically, uh, it's kind of like a golf swing. If I do everything mechanically right, the ball's going to go where I want it to go. Okay, so I was, uh, uh, you know, always worried about alignment and and my mechanics as well. So I knew if I if I did those two things, you know, I was going to have good location. Well, speaking of mechanics, did you have any certain like triggers or things that you knew you wanted to repeat every single time? Oh, absolutely. Yeah, lots of them, tons of them. And, you know, they changed from day to day, especially with your changeup. You know, your field pitch, you know, it's different every five days. And you might need a little something mechanically different to think about, you know, every five days with that pitch. But, you know, for the most part, it's, uh, you know, mechanics. If you can repeat your mechanics, you have good mechanics. You know, there, there's – I think that's the, the – the, you know, hey, how's the guy's mechanics? Well, can he repeat? And if he can repeat, he has good mechanics, no matter if his arm's too high, too low, if he, you know, doesn't stay on the rubber long enough, as long as he catches up, all those things. If you're able to repeat, you have good mechanics. And, uh, uh, you know, command was something I worked on. Uh, I think one of the things I did different than most pitchers was I never had my catcher set up down the middle, you know? You see guys throw bullpens and the catcher set up down the middle, and it's kind of like, I don't want to throw it down the middle in the game, so why am I going to practice throwing it down the middle on the side? So I always had my catcher on one side of the plate or the other uh, with every pitch. It didn't matter if it was, you know, slider, curve, change. They had to be on one side of the plate or the other. And uh, uh, I didn't practice throwing it down the middle. I, all my practice was done trying to hit a corner and trying to keep the ball down. Was there a certain side of the plate that was easier for you to hit repeat? Arm side was easier. So, yeah. you know, you uh, obviously you spend, you work on your weaknesses. So I probably spent 80% of my time on my glove side of the plate and, uh, you know, spent most, most of the time on my weaknesses and my bullpens and, uh, you know, go to your strength just here and there to make sure it's still there and, and then try to improve your weaknesses. That's nice. How did that translate to when you were coaching and, and as a pitching coach, you know, V starting to teach these kids, how, how did they respond and listen to your teaching? Well, you know, most of them, a few of them did respond, you know, it, it takes time. It takes innings, uh, you know, college pitcher, you got three guys getting about 60, 70 innings and everybody else is getting 20 or 30. So it's kind of harder for the, for the bullpen guys. And, mm -hmm. uh, you know, they're all about the velo, you know, if they hit 95, they're going to get drafted. You know, if they're throwing 91 or 92 and, and winning and helping our team win, 
they might not get drafted. So, uh, you know, uh, at the same time, you have to realize you want these kids to cut it loose. You want them to get drafted. Uh, but at the same time, you still want to teach them how to pitch and how to win in case they do get drafted. <laughs> I always used to tell them, uh, you know, hey, if you get drafted, that's great. Okay. But uh, you're going to have, when you get to the minor leagues, you're going to have to continue to get better. And eventually you're going to have to win. And uh, uh, winning is what's going to get you paid down the road. Not, 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 not your velocity. It's uh, being able to win a baseball game and get hitters out. And uh, I think they, they kind of bought into that a little bit, you know, because, uh, you know, a lot of guys get drafted, very few make it to the big leagues. Right. I think we all know that. So I think it's important to, jumpstart their let's try to win attitude instead of let's just brain dead chuck it and hope some scouts like it and I get drafted. You know a name that comes to my mind was did you have Dean Kramer? I didn't have Dean Kramer. I saw him uh, when Chase was a freshman. Okay. So uh, I did see him throw a couple of games. Uh, they had uh, they had three pitchers that got drafted that year and uh, Dean Kramer was one of them and uh, I think the Dodgers took him and ended up trading him and uh, good arm. He's done well too the last month. Had a couple couple good games in a row now. Yeah, and he's just like what you said. He was a guy that I scouted that certainly didn't light up the radar gun where you was like, oh my God, he wasn't touching fives. You know, it was more like 88 to 92, maybe touched a three. Pretty good breaking ball, change up. Um, there, there was really more question about the makeup and how what his desire was to pitch you know at that time kind of aloof you know just a different personality in a way but man he he's kind of shot up the ranks i think he just got called up to the big leagues yeah um, led the meyer leagues i think a year or two ago and strikeout yeah throwing harder um, too yeah probably stronger maybe more dedicated whatever it is right um that's yeah. awesome so how did you what was what was getting drafted like for you what, what was that whole process like well, I mean, it wasn't a biggest deal. Well, it was a big deal back then, but there wasn't all the hoopla. There wasn't all the rankings. There wasn't uh, all the scout clubs you played on. Uh, I mean, you, I just played high school ball. And, you know, you play your – you make your nine or ten starts in high school. And, you know, back then they said, hey, you're probably going to get drafted in the first round. And uh, I'm like, yeah, sure. You know, really? You know, and, uh, I'm just a kid from Vegas, like, right? Yeah, I'm just, you know. <laughs> I'm 150 pounds and, you know, I, you know, I threw 90 <laughs> back then 90 was today's 95. And, uh, uh, you know, I just remember that on draft day, we had our class trip to Hawaii and then there was no internet. There was, you know, you got a phone call from the team that drafted you. Mm -hmm. uh, there was nothing live, nothing going on. And, I forget what time our flight was taken off, but as I was boarding the flight to go on my class trip, the first round had just ended and I didn't get drafted. So uh, actually our class trip was to Hawaii. So when we got to Hawaii, like five hours later, I remember calling my dad and saying, hey, you drafted me. And he said, the Cubs drafted you in the second round. So, uh, you know, I spent the week in Hawaii, got back to Vegas and then uh, flew to Pikeville, Kentucky to start rookie ball and get going. And that was uh, – Jay Bell was the first first-round pick. One yeah. One of the first-round picks that year. Okay. And uh, he was in that league. Sean Abner, I think, was the first pick. That's, yeah. Is that Padres? Uh, I think it was Mets. Mets? Okay. I could be wrong. But uh, 
think it was the Mets. And okay. so, you know, I got to face those guys right out of high school. And that was, that was pretty cool. That's awesome. So when, and were you always a starting pitcher right, right away, your whole minor league career all, all the way yeah. up? Always started, always started. Uh, I think the only time I pitched out of the pen was uh, when I was stinking up the joint in Chicago my first year and they put me in the pen for a couple of days before they sent me back down. And uh, <laughs> that was about <laughs> it. So I got, I got to get, got a chance to get in a few mop-up games in. Okay. What was that like for you when you first got called up? How many, how many years did you spend in the minor leagues? And then what was that uh, like? Two and a half years. You know, I got called up pretty young. I was 20 when I got called up. Wow. Yeah. And uh, exciting. I mean, uh, mm -hmm. you know, my first day in the big leagues was pretty cool. Uh, went there the first day, and it was uh, Jamie Moyer against Nolan Ryan. And wow. those, those were the two starting pitchers. And That's crazy, Nolan Ryan. <laughs> it is crazy. And uh, the game's going on, and all of a sudden it goes extra innings, and it starts getting dark. There's no lights at Wrigley back then. Oh, okay. <laughs> Man, you're dating yourself right there. Yeah, I know. And, uh, <laughs> so – we're going to resume the game tomorrow at 12 o'clock, get to the ballpark at 12 o'clock. And uh, uh, John Vukovic, one of the third base coach, goes, hey, you know, you might pitch today. You be ready. And, you know, so sure enough, the game goes a couple more innings, and they tell me to go down and warm up. And uh, I'm warming up. There's one out. We got a man on second. I think Jody Davis was on second. And uh, they call down to the pen. They ask me if I'm ready. And I go, well, there's one. I go, yeah, I'm ready. So they called me in to pinch run for Jody Davis. Okay. So came in, I ran for Jody, didn't score. And I'm kind of sitting on the bench going, this is kind of stupid. Why'd they have me warm up? That just doesn't make <laughs> sense. I just warm up the run. I mean, right. And uh, Luke goes, he goes, hey, kid, you're in the game. And I'm like, oh, shit. I didn't even know. I grabbed my <laughs> up there. And, uh, yeah, I think gave up a windblown home run to Mickey Hatcher, and we lost an extra innings. <laughs> <laughs> right, let's, let's get him in the pen already yeah got three yeah. guys out gave up a solo homer and got a loss hang with oh, man. yeah but then i started five days later in uh cincinnati so it was pretty cool pretty pretty special that first time you get called up as you know it's uh oh, yeah. pretty cool pretty so cool. what year was it what year was that that was 86 86 was it 87 when they got the lights or when was that 88 88 Wrigley. i i remember yeah. that 88 yeah Okay. Yep. And the that first was, thing got rained out. Was Andre Dawson there? Uh, I believe, geez, what year did the Hawk get there? Was he 89 or 88? He might have been there. I'm not sure. I, the years kind of, yeah, they yeah. all run together. But oh, what a special player he was. He was pretty cool getting him. I yeah. Mean, was, well, we, I, saw him win, we saw him win the MVP, and it was, uh, it was something pretty special. It absolutely. was uh, probably as cool as when Chipper wanted in Atlanta, just to be able to play with a guy all year and you watch him have an MVP type season. It's uh they're fun to watch. Is that when you, as a, cause you obviously had Cy Young's and just amazing years. So when you're watching them, you're pitching every five days, you're watching a guy like Chipper or Andre, like, are you even impressed? Are you like, Oh my God, yeah, this yeah. guy. I think that's one of the, I think that's one of the things that really helps is if you like the game. And I, I like the game. I mean, as, especially as a starting pitcher, because, I mean, honestly, what are we out there, hour every five days, hour and a half? I mean, we're not yeah. out there very long. I mean, and we're sitting on the bench and, you know, trying to kill time. And if, uh, 
if you can actually enjoy watching your teammates play and the other teams play, I think it just makes it better. And, uh, you know, I was lucky enough to enjoy that. I enjoyed watching the games. What did you, on that note, take from, if you're pitching every, every five days, you got four days in between there. I'm pretty sure, tell us your routine and how you would go about watching and analyzing the game and maybe the hitters. Well, you know, I, I was going to pitch the way I knew how to pitch. Okay. So, you know, there wasn't a lot of, you know, Rick Sutcliffe does this, so I'm going to try that. Or, or, you know, and then in Atlanta, well, Smoltz, doing this. Let me try to mimic that. I was, I knew who I was as a pitcher. So uh, I wasn't going to deviate from that. And, uh, you know, the biggest things, like stupid things I would look for, like I would look like on bunt plays, you know, because we bunted a lot. And, you know, first and second, I always used to try to watch the shortstop to see if, if he did anything on the wheel play. So I knew it was swing, you know. Right. Right. defense so you know just things like that you'd look for uh you know does the guy get a little lower when he's going to steal second does he open up his front foot you might watch the base stealers uh you might watch if uh guys that bunted if they did anything different before they bunted so you can you know cheat one way or the other just get a little jump on the bun if they do get it down uh just things like that uh but you know for the most part the preparation was all done in the video room uh, if I was facing you, let's say, I would put in your last 30 at-bats against right-handed pitchers. Okay. You know, uh, once the video got good, before then you had the VHS and you had to rewind and you only had your game. So, but, uh, yeah. but that's what I would do. And, you know, my, my preparation was video, and I usually went last 30 at-bats against right-handed pitchers. So I would watch, you know, your at-bats in, you know, New York, Montreal, and then we played you. So I would, you know, kind of – get a feel and, you know, just see if there were certain pitches that you continued to fly out to center field on. And, you know, if there were ones you hit, you know, the ones that went in the gap. So, uh, you know, those were kind of the things I looked for. Did you rely on like advanced scattering ports or did you rely on just your eyes? Like I trusted myself. I trusted my own eyes. The advanced scouting reports, they came to be the same thing every time for me. It's almost like he's a first ball, fastball hitter. Mm -hmm. you know, uh, we'll chase up with two strikes or might chase down with two strikes. They were pretty generalized. Okay. Uh, you know, I wanted to know if I throw my fastball here, is he going to hit a home run? And if the answer was no, then that's where I tried to throw it. Uh, I did not. I tried to keep the ball in front of the outfield. I tried to keep the ball in the park. And I let the hitter get himself out. I mean, uh, very rarely did I go for a strikeout. Uh, I mean, you can't strike anybody out until you get two strikes. <laughs> you know what I mean? So for me, strike one and two was if I throw this pitch and he hits it, it's the single the worst I'm going to be. And that's the pitch I threw. Uh, it was never a swing and miss. I'm going to make him miss this pitch on, an, on a 1-1 one, one count, okay? I would throw try to throw a strike and keep it in front of the outfield. And if I got to two strikes, okay, now, okay, if I paint you away, is he going to take it or do I need to throw a change up and let him swing over? Okay. So. That's interesting because I, it sounds to me like you probably played with, when I'm dealing with younger, younger athletes and working in particular pitchers, when they're struggling, they tend to do what we call primal pitching is I'm going to just throw it harder and harder. Yeah. Um, and just try to hold the spot. Yeah. It sounds like you were 
Did yeah. you ever get to that point at all? I ever? was there my first year. Yeah. yeah. And you learn that it doesn't work. I mean, <laughs> mm -hmm. if you want to fail, that's a good way to fail. Just rear back, brain dead, chuck it. Uh, it worked in high school and college for most guys. Right. Uh, as they move up, it, it, it doesn't quite work as well. Uh, you know, I, I was guilty of that my first couple years and uh, it took me till I was about 22 or three to trust my location. I yeah. think uh, it's easy to trust your, your velocity. It's hard to trust your location. And as soon as you understand that my fastball is good enough or my breaking ball is good enough, all I have to do is locate it. I think that's when you get over the hump and you start turning into a pitcher, and you know, instead of a brain dead chucker. Right, right, okay. So you, you took a lot of pride. Um, I've been to your house a couple times and you show me your trophy room and you, I think you have what, 18 gold gloves? Is that, yeah. is that right? Yeah. 18 gold gloves. So you take me into your trophy room. I'm just looking around at, you know, you get the amazing like kind of portraits, just trophies everywhere. And then just lined up <laughs> after the other yeah. is gold gloves. Tell us about your approach with fielding and how that worked for you. Well, I worked on it, you know, it's important. You know, I, I figured if I could make three plays a game and get 30 starts, that's, that's 90 outs, okay? So you got 90 free outs a year. What's that do to your ERA, mm. okay? Mm. <laughs> you go third, you know, you got 90 scoreless outs in there once the season's over. So I kind of looked at it that way, you know, and, you know, we all want to get paid. We all want to have good years. We want to win a world series. We want to have a good ERA. We want to win 20 games. And, you know, fielding is a big part of that. I always took, I always felt like if I can do something where I don't have to throw a fastball down and away or make a good slider, if I could field a bunt, get the ball to the shortstop on a, on a comebacker, you know, without him having to reach forward or whatever, so he can turn it. Uh, if I could fill my position and do the things correctly, it's just going to increase my chances to have success. So uh, I enjoyed fielding. I enjoyed practicing fielding. And, uh, you know, it's important. That's hard to find, don't you think, with a lot of pitchers? It is. It is. Yeah. It is. You know, I got, you know, or I had, you know, 15, 20 pitchers at UNLV, and I think really about four or five enjoyed being out there during PFPs, and mm -hmm. 15 of them hated it. So, uh uh, you know, it helps to like what you're doing. Again, you know, you gotta, you gotta like what you're doing, and uh, if you do, you're probably gonna be good at it. What What did you sense back as we get back to the college part? Is there? Did you certainly notice different types of work ethics? Oh, absolutely. You know, and again, you know, there's a huge difference between a college kid trying to get a degree and using baseball for that, and then mm -hmm. you have like minor league players that, okay, this is my living. I'm all in. And, uh, uh, you know, I found that coaching through the minor leagues, you have to be careful what you say because they're going to try it. They're going to do it. So okay. you, know, you got, you got to make sure that, you know, you got to believe in what you're saying to these guys and, you know, college in one ear and out the other for the most part, you know, I think, uh, you know, if you, if you told them something, uh, stay on the rubber longer or, or let's take, have, take the, let's have a stiff wrist when you take the, the, the ball out of your glove on your changeup, you know, you'd have to tell them again in three days. Whereas 
if you tell the minor leaguers or the, or the pros those things, then you only have to tell them once, and they'll figure out if it's going to work for them or not. Because they, they might go home and – because you, you've done a lot of that type of stuff in teaching, going through, and kind of like a roving minor league type person, yeah. right? You'll explain yeah. how that worked for you when you were doing that. Well, I enjoyed it. You know, I, I like baseball, and I like retirement. And, uh, you know, I was allowed to do it part-time. And I enjoyed spring training. Uh, would do the spring trainings and then make a couple trips once the season started with uh, – uh, started with the Cubs, and then I spent four or five years in Texas with my brother, and I did a year in L.A. with the Dodgers. And uh, uh, keeps you in the game, uh, uh, makes retirement, gives you something to get up for every now and then, you know. Yeah, and, uh, I enjoyed it, and, you know, it worked out good. I found I learned a lot from all the other pitching coaches. Uh, I was very fortunate to uh, be around lots of pitching coaches. And, you know, you can still a little – bits and pieces from these guys and then you know like when I had my guys at UNLV I found myself you know kind of sharing with the you know seven or eight pitching coaches I've been around the last five or six years mm-hmm. and the ones also that I had as, as a player so it was uh you know you you can get a lot of a lot of little nuggets in your toolkit you know, when yeah you to a bunch of coaches absolutely is there a thought came to my mind and kind of going back to your mechanics mm-hmm. are there any you say red flag that you see in mechanics or arm action that uh as far as red flags go you know it, here's the thing the most important part of the delivery is probably the last two feet okay so whatever they're doing from here to here Okay, that's the most important thing. And then, you know, you kind of look for things before that happens. And, and you know, that's where you see the red flags. And, uh, you know, you just kind of watch and see how their arm works. Mm-hmm. You know, I think, uh, you know, are they using their legs properly? You know, I think, are they getting on top of the ball? Are they getting around the ball? Uh, are they in a proper throwing position to get to the last two feet? And, you know, as far as like watching their shoulders and see if how they take the ball out of their hand, you know, a lot of times if you see a nice circle back here and it's short and nice and fluid, you're not worried about it. But when you see them starting to reach way in the back, you start to worry a little bit. So, uh, you know, I think most of it, you can kind of see by how they take it out of their gloves. And if they're taking it out in a pretty good position, then I think they're going to be okay. Okay. And you have to keep in mind, too, that, you know, it's been said there's two types of pitchers. There's pitchers that have had surgery, and there's pitchers that are going to have surgery. <laughs> so it's going to happen. <laughs> so there's red flags for everybody. I mean, look, Verlander, been pitching forever, okay, and, you know, just had that happen to him. And, you know, you saw Smoltzy great for 10 years, and you know, had the, had the elbow, and, yeah, uh, you know, it happens. You just hope it's an elbow and not a shoulder when it goes. So did you happen to have a surgery as well? You know what? I didn't. I was pretty fortunate. I was pretty fortunate. Uh, you know, my arm was pretty good. Elbow yeah. hurt a little bit younger in my career, but literally the last 10 years, uh, I learned how to take better care of my arm and was fine. What was your routine um, 
after you pitched and before you pitched? Did you do the jobs and all that type of every stuff? Day. Did the jobs every day, <clears throat> every day. And I, I actually, I was pretty fortunate. Uh, do you know who Keith Clevin is? Oh yeah. Him, don't you? Yeah. Uh, physical therapist, sports guy, understood speed and athletes. And I was fortunate to actually work for him in high school. Mm. So, I mean, I, I joke, I was his head custodian, but I was <laughs> the only one that came in and cleaned up the offices, you know, when they all left at six o'clock. But uh, he, he actually taught me back then how to take care of my shoulder. So I was doing the Job exercises uh, back then. And uh, they had the Cybex machines, the resistance mm -hmm. that you could get on. And I was doing a lot of exercises on the Cybex machines for my shoulder and elbow. So I was, I was pretty fortunate back then. I learned at an early age how to take care of my arm properly. And I learned from the best. I mean, you know, my opinion, he was the best in the country. I mean, yeah. uh, he knew all sports. He did all athletes. He did, uh, I mean, Tiger went to him. Tiger, you could have picked whoever he went to in the world, and Tiger went to him. So, I mm. mean, he's he's a pretty special guy. And uh, He did pass away shortly, short time ago, and uh, definitely miss him. And very huge, a lot of help along the way, and, and he was right there at the top of the list. Yeah, that's awesome. Started yeah. that job early, and – Little sweeping floors, listening for some advice and little yeah, working out, working out and getting paid. Yeah, it was great. Yeah. <laughs> but yeah, but mostly, you know, I, I took care of my arm. Uh, that's the one, you know, I, I didn't run a lot, but I ran enough. Okay. Uh, uh, I did, I tried not to, I tried to throw only when I had to. I never tried to save my bullets for the fifth day. Uh, but I did take care of my shoulder. That's the one thing I did. I was pretty pretty good about doing my shoulder exercises every day. Uh, if I didn't feel like running one day, then I probably wouldn't, but I still did my shoulder exercises. You know, I knew it was important to uh, stay healthy and uh, you know, be fresh for that fifth day. That's awesome. How did you go about, you know, year to year, you're doing, having these incredible years, how did you go about, did you actually set goals for yourself each year or did you just go? Uh, you know, I had, there. always want to win 20 games. Always wanted to win the Cy Young. Mm -hmm. Okay. Uh, always wanted to help your team get a shot at postseason. You know, obviously wanted to win the World Series. The goals were always very high, but, you know, the main goal for me was to win the day, to try to get better, every time I went to the ballpark and it, you know, it just had to be something, you know, you know, it had to be something. It had to be, usually it was about a hitter or a base runner or something on defense. You know, I think uh, just had the attitude to try to get better every time I walked into the ballpark and, mm -hmm. and find out how good I can be. You know, uh, when I was in AAA, uh, Billy Connors asked me, you ever wonder how good you can be? And I said, no. <laughs> and why, why did I do that? He goes, you should try to find out. And I go, how do I do that? He goes, you just go and try to find out how good you can be. So, you know, that's something that kind of stuck with me. And, uh, you know, I always tried to find the answer to that question. So, you know, that was my way to motivate myself. And we all know it's a long season. And, uh, you know, I think I stayed pretty good even through the dog days of trying to get better that day. That's great. How did you approach, you, maybe you've answered a little bit through some of your answers so far, but how did you approach the mental game? I really, it, it really clicked to me when 
I only try to control the things that I can control. Okay. And even simplified even more, it was what do I throw and how do I throw it? Okay. So it was pitch selection. And then what do I have to do mechanically to execute the pitch? And, uh, you know, luckily it was easier back then. There wasn't a lot of media. There wasn't, you know, 25 apps you can click on and watch your last game in 30 seconds and all that, you know? So, uh, you know, you just block out everything, uh, put on your crash helmet, not your sponge. <laughs> you don't listen you, and really didn't care what people thought. Yeah. You know, uh, just cared about trying to get better and, you know, listen to my coaches, tried their advice. I mean, anytime a coach suggested something to me, I always tried it and, you know, Hey, Hey, might be right. I better try it. <laughs> you know, it might make me better. So, uh, uh, just pretty focused on trying to get better and just worrying about the things that I can control. You know, I, you can't control, you know, the shortstop freaking having it go through his legs on a perfect double play ball and you get a loss. Didn't bother me one bit, you know, never bothered me. Uh, things out of my control, if they didn't go our team's way, never bothered me. That's awesome. Yeah, it's a big one. Talking to kids, they, they get so wrapped up in that air that the shortstop made or the, the pass ball that the catcher should have blocked. Yeah. Or the team didn't score for me. I got beat two to one or one to nothing. Yeah. What do I got to do? Throw a no hitter every time to win. Right. Yeah. I mean, I actually <laughs> felt better losing two to one sometimes and winning seven to six, to be yeah. honest. Okay. You know, I know that sucks for the team and all that, but yeah, uh, you know, I was about, you know, trying to be good and I didn't need the, I didn't need the box score to dictate that. Okay, I knew if it was good or not. I didn't need the box score to tell me if I did good or not. Yeah, that's what I've always sensed with you. Like, you've always known and trusted yourself on, I don't need somebody else's opinion or validation to know how good I am. Right? And do you feel like that took yeah. a long time to get there? Uh, <clears throat> not really. Yeah. Not really. I think that's something I started learning my third or fourth year. You know, I had my shrink. <laughs> I had Harvey Dorfman. Uh, yeah. Okay. Yeah, he was pretty big in the game back then in the nineties uh, and, you know, uh, worked with Oakland and yeah. Miami and Scott had him on staff at his place. So, you know, yeah. And that's, that's what I say. Like one of my biggest regrets is knowing that that was actually available. Um, yeah. You know, Harvey Dorfman, he's, I got the book sitting right here on my shit. He wrote the mental game of baseball. Yeah. You know? absolutely. Yeah. Yeah, I got it for all the kids at UNLV. I think maybe only two of them read it. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, and that's the difference. You know, and I'm working with a, a team right now, too, and, and we're going through Heads Up Baseball. Um, it's actually really cool. They're, we're separating it to, like, a chapter each week, and then when they, the players are discussing it. We're having conversation, and then I do one-on-ones with them to kind of actually go through what are they going through individually, and it's really cool to see them start to open up and be like, yeah, mm -hmm. I'm kind of – I'm struggling here a little bit, you know, what, can you help me in this area? Um, so yeah. that's really cool. Yeah. What was, you know, and, and so I, I want to point that out. Like we're talking to Greg Maddox here who spoke to a mental skills coach in what the late eighties, early nineties. Was it the, your whole career? Or? Yeah. Uh, yeah. I mean, yeah. 88, I believe 89 mm -hmm. sometime in there. Yeah. And was Absolutely. that, just for those at uh, that year or two, or was it your whole career? Whole career, whole okay. career. But you know, mostly, 
you know, scuffling, not performing well on the field. And physically, I was fine. I mean, felt great. Yeah. Throw it as hard as I could, and it didn't hurt. You know, that's amazing. <laughs> the ball was good. Everything was good, but uh, mentally, I was making mistakes. I wasn't thinking correctly. Uh, I was letting. I had my sponge on, not my crash helmet. You know, yeah. I was hearing things. I, I was uh, uh, being coached by too many teammates. I had, you know, at least they liked me enough to try to help me. You know, right. but uh, right. you know, you got three different veteran pitchers telling you three different things. And then you have your pitching coach telling you as well. And, uh, you know, just a little confused. I wasn't organized and uh, uh, I wasn't set up for success. Mentally, I wasn't there. So I had to learn how to prepare better, learn how to trust my stuff, learn how to trust my location uh, and, you know, understand why I was good and figure out who I am as a pitcher. And then, you know, things started to, yeah, and, and you're and you're talking. You were in the big leagues a few years in the big league until you realized who you were. Yeah. Oh, it takes time. Yeah, it takes. You know, they say it takes four or five hundred innings before you start to figure things out. So, mm -hmm. uh, and I was at that point. Okay. That's awesome, man. That's uh, I think that's great. Have you transferred that to? Because now you're retired. You've been playing golf. Um, how do you transfer that to the golf game? I don't. I wish I could. <laughs> totally different game totally different game uh you know uh i am actually i have been taking lessons for the first time really yeah like literally in california this summer i started okay. taking lessons and because you're uh, you're like a scratch golfer you're, well, you're, you're, you're no, trying to get it not no, so much that's the thing i i i went from like a three to a seven and I was unconsciously incompetent. I was so bad and had no idea why I was bad that I, I need, okay, I need a coach. It just got to the point where yeah. uh, I know I'm going to play golf the rest of my life as long as physically, as long as I can. And uh, I need to start to understand the mechanics of the golf swing better and understand what kind of golfer I am. And, uh, you know, I mean, the only thing really is I enjoy the game. I don't really enjoy practicing it. And that's why I'm not good at it. You, know, you just play, you just play and just, just go and not play. Just play and, and, you know, I don't, I should practice. I can't complain about being bad because I don't practice. <laughs> so it's, you know, it's my own fault. Yeah. We had that, uh, we had quite a, I would say almost a full year of the year I was coaching at Gorman. Um, then I had your son Chase. Mm -hmm. I coached him during, a, it was, I guess, Legion or Company Mac, whatever it was at that time. And you were helping out. So you took me out a bunch of times golfing. Yeah. Uh, it was a blast. We yeah. had our we had our Carl's Jr. right by your old house. Right there. Right. <laughs> Just good times. So that that's interesting. So what are you actually working on your swing? Which part of the which part of that are you trying uh, to? Everything. Out? I just I'm just real loose and sloppy at the top, and I'm trying to tighten it up at the top for the most part. You know, I think uh, uh, I'm not gripping the club properly or setting it in the right spot. So I'm trying to learn how to set the club correctly before I start to swing. I got you. Anyway. So you're not going to go to a bunch of YouTube videos for that? Uh, I mean, I'll watch chipping videos and stuff. You never know. You might, <laughs> you might find something. But, you know, the biggest thing is you got to practice. You got to work on your short game. And, yeah. Uh, you know, with, with the weather being as hot as it is, by the time you're done playing, you're not going to go practice. Oh, yeah. You're Don't done. Stop. Yeah. It's, it's lunchtime. You're tired, right? <laughs> yeah, yeah, you're kind of hungry. and Yeah. <laughs> you know. 
I'm okay being a four or five handicap. That's fine. Yeah. Perfect. Um, the game and I'm not going to punish my body to hit 10,000 golf balls. But, right. Yeah. Okay. Man, this has been incredible. So I, I wanted to do something with you and I wanted to, you know, I got your permission beforehand to go through. When I started just, you know, I knew a lot about you going into this and I went through some articles and I'm like, there's some funny stories out there that you, you, you're saying that could possibly be fake news. So, Absolutely. right. So I'm going to, I'm going to throw some stories out to you. If you want to elaborate on each one, All right. um, you say true, false, fake news, whatever you want to say. All right. Here's the first one. Um, and this could be a different version that you used to pee on rookies legs in the shower. Only if they peed on me first. I never, I never drew first blood, but I got even. All right, you got That's even. False. That's false. That's false. Okay. All right. There is a, there was a story about some type of chili. They used to put stuff in chili. Any, any. Oh, in San Francisco, the chili. Something, something. To, I, yeah, we, I don't know. Maybe. No, I didn't. No, nothing like that. No, here's what we did in San Francisco. Uh, San Francisco was famous for its chili. Do you remember Harvey? How's your knee? He was a clubby there, the visiting uh, clubby in San Francisco. Uh, but he would make this big pot of chili, and it was good. Everybody liked the chili, okay. but he never cleaned it. So he would just dump more chili on top of the old chili and stir it up. And so what we did is we said, he never cleans it. How do we know? So on getaway day, we put a golf ball underneath the chili okay. and then somebody knew somebody on the, ne the next team coming in and say, Hey, see if there's a golf ball in the chili. <laughs> and of course I got blamed for it, but no, I never did anything to the chili. <laughs> okay. All right. <laughs> um, I read once where you had a joke where you used to flick boogers up on top of the ceiling where reporters would always stand and do their reporting. Oh, no, <laughs> no, no. But, you could hawk loogies on the top of the dugout and then move and see if it drips on the guy next to you, but never to the reporters. Because, you know, you know, the rule is you can mess with baseball stuff, but you can't mess with like personal stuff. Right. You know? so, right. You know. So what about like, what about the guys that go in and like cut up their suits? So they're, they're street clothes. Yeah. That, is that, yeah. Is that That's, crossing the line? Well, it's crossing the line, but at the same time, the guy goes and buys him a new suit the next day, right? <laughs> you got to replace it at least, right? <laughs> get a new suit out of it, yeah. All right. Yeah. All right. Um, this one's an interesting one I, you, that you crapped on top of a birthday cake. No, not true. That's fake news. Yep, never happened. See, I, I even heard it went as deep as I like will say that. Cake. And you, you messed with that and put it oh, in a chocolate cake. No, no, that was, uh, I heard a couple guys before me doing that. I only had one teammate that ever crapped on anything and it was a paper plate and he put it next to the spread in Montreal because he said the spread was shit. So he's, <laughs> <laughs> and I won't tell you who he was, but he was a pitcher. All right. Of course. He he was. Of course he was. Okay. Um, there's a story going that you used to pee on the bucket of sanitary socks. No. No? <laughs> no. <laughs> That's disgusting. Yeah. Yeah. Why would you do that to your teammates? They got to put on <laughs> wet socks. 
Oh I wore the two in one, so I was okay with it, but I didn't, yeah, no, what wasn't me. Okay. Um, there's a story that talked about uh, GM for the Padres, I believe it was Kevin Towers, maybe mm -hmm. Towers or somebody else at the time, saying that, hey, you need to set a better example. We need you to get out and just get in better shape. And then your response to that was, okay, I'm going to get early to the field, the treadmill, and pull up the treadmill to where everybody walks in, get butt naked, and just start running on the treadmill. Nope. No. <laughs> it never happened. <laughs> this is a lot of fake news going on. I'm telling you, I, it's all this stuff going on, and it's like, okay. Again, that's, don't care. Again, you know, it right. goes back to, I'm not, yeah, okay, whatever. Okay. No. And I, I got, I got, I think one more, well, maybe two more. Um, one was, you, see, you, see, you talked about hawking loogies, that when Chipper Jones got his first hit, you know, they threw the ball in, and he went to get it, and you hawked a loogie on it, and then gave it back. <laughs> uh, I don't think so. No? <laughs> I mean, we would mess with, it. What if I did do it, it wasn't the ball he got the hit on. It was a different ball. Okay. Because you know how the guy would get his first hit, and you'd get the ball and write the wrong name on yeah. there or something? Yeah, Absolutely. Do that. Okay. We used to now, do this last one I was reading this morning and I, I shared it with my wife and we were both in tears um, and I'm just going to preface it, but um, you're playing with Mark Grace in Chicago and you are walking around the mound. And yeah, Mark, that one's not true. <laughs> let, me <laughs> let me finish. Let me finish. I think I know where you're going. That one's totally not true. That's why this cannot be true. So the, the story was you're walking around the mound and Mark Grace walks over to you like, what's going on? And you had a full-on erection. <laughs> yeah. And true. then Mark Grace was like, well, man, you must really like to pitch. No. No. <laughs> no. I wore a cup. You know what it is like to wear a cup. <laughs> uh, no. But me and Gracie did have fun. You know what we did? Yeah. We always had a mom joke every time we had a 3-1 uh, put out over at first. A mom joke, okay. Yeah, All right. We would just like have a little mom joke for one another. Yeah, All right. You know, making the U-turn back to the mouth. <laughs> but that was kind of fun. So these are, there's a lot of fake news going on. It's a lot of, yeah. Yeah. What are, what are some of the funny stories that you would be willing to share that did happen that you'd be open to? Uh, wow. They're all a little kind of vulgar, but, uh, you know, just. We can keep it PG-13, you know. Yeah, I mean, you know, uh. You know, I got one that was kind of fun, and I didn't even do it. It was uh, uh, Trevor Hoffman used to take a bite out of all the donuts. He'd come in and take a bite out of every donut every morning and kind of ruin the donuts for everybody else. So uh, it was Michael Barrett actually uh, got the cream-filled one and sucked all the cream out and put mustard in the middle and got a straw and got it in there. and. Uh, he sat there and waited for Trevor to walk in and take the bites out of the donuts. And, you know, about a half hour later, he showed up and got a mouthful of mustard. Uh, <laughs> that was pretty good. That was one of the better ones. That is a good one. Yeah. Yeah. So. Did you guys ever, well, I mean, you played in Chicago. Um, there's the one about the, that one that happened for me is when I got called up to Pittsburgh and Chris Benson was already there at the time. And a couple guys that were like a year or two in. And they would take us to, I, I couldn't even tell you what the location is, but there's a big bowl. 
and it's got you have to climb up on the bowl and spray paint the, the balls of the bowl oh right yeah. and the balls are huge right yeah we had to spray paint them yellow for pittsburgh yeah you're too um, close yeah did you ever yeah. hear about that people doing that uh you know there was also a horse right there when you come off lakeshore drive in waveland and uh there was a horse that you'd see his his nuts would be <laughs> we're playing you know you guys it'd be it'd be yellow and uh, you know playing the a's it'd be green so right you know, right yeah all that a lot yeah well and then so that was and i was 21 at the time going into yeah. chicago for the first time big city it, cops were everywhere right and you're like dude this is crazy <laughs> right and and then uh, the, the great part about that was you, you sprayed it, got down, got in the cabin, then got out of there, and you just think, think that you're alive. And then the next day, there's like three cops that show up, right? And they're like, and Lloyd McClendon was our manager at the time, and, and he's like, um, you know, Hermanson, Ramirez, oh. you know, Mike Garcia, like lined, lined us all up, and then they, they called us out. They're like, um, we got we got you guys on tape for for spray painting these bulls ball. <laughs> so the, the the whole scene is set up to where they're gonna arrest you and take you and you can't play in the game today. Yeah, so, yeah. I didn't know they went that far. We saw yeah. a couple make arrest in spring training. Yeah, <laughs> and the guys would come in and arrest somebody, and everyone would have a laugh. But yeah, That's awesome. Yeah. Well, Greg, man, this has been awesome. A uh, lot of great uh, info and wisdom from you. One of the greatest pitchers ever. Uh, certainly have appreciated our friendship over the years and, and the, how you've given back to the Vegas community. Um, you know, almost, I still are involved in some of the scout teams here and um, we have a heavy presence with Bishop Gorman at times. And it seems like everybody has gone through you at some point uh, to get help, advice, all types of things. So coming from me and everybody else, we really appreciate your help well, absolutely. and all that. Yeah, I had a lot of help coming up myself. So, you know, you got to pay it back. Awesome. Absolutely. Absolutely. Awesome, man. Well, I, I appreciate your time and hopefully we can do this again sometime. All right. Look forward to it. All right. Good seeing you, Chad. All right, man. Okay. We'll see you. Bye-bye. Okay, bye. Hope you guys enjoy that conversation with Greg Maddox. It doesn't get any better than that, right? A Hall of Famer. Man, he's got a lot of wisdom. I We probably didn't even get into really a lot of what he can talk about if you had to sit down and talk with him for a while. Uh, so I wanted to give that to you and, and just give an experience of what that's like and just the knowledge that he has of pitching, the wisdom that he provides for us. So hopefully you got something out of that. If you're a parent, make sure you share that with your kid. And if you're a kid, make sure you take it to heart, man. That's Greg Maddox, Hall of Famer, one of the best at, at this game that will ever be. So hopefully you take that to heart. On the side note, I want to make sure you guys are still aware that I'm doing one-on-one -on -one coaching. I am teaching kids one-on-one -on -one about the mental game, going through it individually with them. I'm also doing group calls every Sunday night at 5 p.m. Pacific Standard Time. I, I share a lot of the same information I do in one-on-one -on -one calls, but in the group call, it's, it's a little bit more open information, and we have a lot of dialogue and discussion about the mental game and what these individuals are going through, and these players are helping each other out along the way. So take a look at that in the show notes. And I will see you in the next episode. Take care.